All characters, events, and companies in this show, even those based on real entities, are entirely fictional and do not represent reality at all. And I ain't got no idea what implied messaging means, which probably means this is all just surface level nonsense. I, I mean, no one really means a thing when they say a thing anyway. There ain't no truth in nothing portrayed in the show. And to believe otherwise? Well, that'd be like eating raw pasta that ain't raw. And that'll make anyone sick. Don't want to get sick, do you? Previously on Hooters Juniors. Viscous is a small town in northwestern Colorado that lies just below the Rocky Mountains. I first met Durgan McFlurgsang in 2002. Hooters Juniors where the kids are the cooks. That was the most exploitative piece of journalism I've ever listened to. Durgan and I kept in contact for more than 21 years after that. It was in March of 2020 that I first realized something was wrong. That's when I grabbed my gear and took the long drive out to Colorado. Gotta call in and say a body done been dumped in the river. A body? Durgan! Uh-oh. Uh Think of the ad revenue! I was going to solve the murder of Durgan McFlurgstang. Tell me where to start my investigation. I, I don't know. So assistant reporter and I made our way to the stud farm. He Jared. Lance me. He said he was thinking about changing his identities in order to hide from someone. He, he said was trying to kill him. I guess it all started with a bang. Who caused the accident at Horsewell? It was... There's only one way out of this house. You're gonna have to skin my skin and wear me on out of this here fiery haze. Why would someone set the stud farm on fire? It definitely wasn't accidental. And that meant it had to be about me. You've got an interview for me? Yeah, I, I does. Come on, follow me. And that's when things got even deepener. You're listening to Hooters Juniors, the Durgan McFlurgstang story from Sad Picture Productions. Hi, I'm your host, host, episode two, Supreme McBitey. See, you gotta be patient. If you don't have patience, all you have is lost time. And time ain't nothing I can pay to lose. Unless I'm paid to lose it. There, host. Right, right there. You see him? Yeah. Yeah, I see it. It was a lost young doe on the other side of the valley. Grazing. Yeah. Look at how smug that life is. As if it deserves to just be. Unfortunately for that there doe, deserving costs money. And it's time to pay. Alright, host. I seen what a great job you did on Jared. How about you skin this dough on up just like you did him and we'll head back home? Sure thing, Dan. Just... just like Jared. It had been ten days since the stud farm fire. Since Jared died. Not only was I tasked with solving the murder of my friend, Durgan McFlurgstang, but now... I had to solve the totally non-accidental murder of Jared as well. In the aftermath of the fire, I was in complete shock and wearing a human skin suit. If it hadn't have been for a complete stranger named Dan taking me in, I'm not sure I could have continued on. But with Dan's help, 
friendship, and supreme knowledge of living an illiterate country lifestyle, I was now back on my feet and ready to dive deeper. So, uh, you gonna finish that Rob Hassan? Could put it down in the crawlspace, maybe get a little growth if you're trying to save her for later, I mean. Dan lived on the edge of Viscous, and some might say, the edge of life itself. In fact, his house sat on the edge of an eroding cliff just above where the wolves slept. But standing four and a half feet tall and backed by 300 pounds of pure muscle, Dan was built for the country life. He'd grown up here, and like many, never really left. Keep coming back here. No matter how far I try to get away, seem to always end up back in Viscous. Is there anything that you've been able to find that draws you to this place? Uh, well, it's definitely not the people. It's definitely not the area or the surroundings. It's, it's not the non-existent services. It's not anything that has ever happened here. I, I have no good memories here. Uh, there's, there's an addiction to the air, though. There's, there's something in the air. Dan's wife and kids had died in a Medicare-gone-wrong scheme ten years prior, and all other family members had long since passed due to radiation poisoning from the town's uranium mine. For the most part, Dan lived in complete isolation, growing and hunting his own food, straining water from dead rodents and pigeons, and huffing paint thinners to pass the time. There weren't many cars that came out this way, and the closest neighbor was more than ten miles south of Dan's rundown shack. However, that neighbor was Durgan McFlergstang. Yeah, I I'll say, he the only one who ever showed me any kindness. Actually gave me here this land, free of charge, except for the rent, and the original sale price of him taking agency over my body and mind. But he did lower the friend tax just for me, and that, that made me feel like I had a special place in his heart. Because McFlergstang owned most of the properties in Viscous, and was legally allowed to do whatever he wanted, he had free reign over the distribution of such properties, and enacted a friend tax on all who resided here, along with various other taxes. You know, at, at first it bothered me, but once I heard that sweet Santa crime come at that mouth, I understood the justification behind it. I mean, can't persecute a man who been justified and justifying just what he feels is rightfully just. It if I'd... Listen, Dan, it's been really great staying with you, murdering living things, eating raw possum, and filling up the septic tank, but unless you have something groundbreaking to introduce into my podcast, I feel like it's time I get back into town and start investigating these murders, along with any new murders that just happen to come up in the process of my investigation. Foreshadowing. Look, host, I get it. Eating raw pasta not for everyone, and some people don't like spending all day working on the septic farm. But the reason I went searching for you in the first place, and just conveniently found you when you were in a state of shock, unable to process skinning a man alive and then wearing his skin suit, was to tell you something. Something I think you need to hear. What is it, Dan? This town, viscous, heck, maybe even the whole of Turgid County, ain't what it seems. It... Ain't what it seems. Oh yeah, something's not right. Ever since Dergman did, the horses don't scream unprompted like I used to. Little Denny lost his whole hay farm to the firestorms. The ground ain't stable upside down no more. There's dogs driving cars, and the kids? Well, they just don't cook as hard no more. Dan... What are you trying to tell me? Look, host, I, I ain't trying to influence your opinion or put worms in your brain that ain't already been there, but I'm just saying. 
Don't trust no one here. What? Not the new police force the state just sent down. Not the businesses or shop owners. Not Durgan's friends or family. Not me. And certainly, none of them child workers. But- It's like this, host. Uh, unless you have a secondary source to back up the information people done giveth you, then I I'd leave that information at the doorstep. Outside your case's property, that is. Dan, why are you saying this? You'll know in time, host. You'll know in time. What could Dan mean? That I shouldn't trust anyone's statements without backing those statements up with other sources? That I couldn't baselessly make accusations based on what singular people had said? That I should consider what someone might have to gain from influencing my opinions in regard to investigating a murder? Journalism. Information confirmation. Evidence. I needed to find out more. And so I made my way back to town to figure out who it was that I could trust. After spending a whole 30 minutes walking the 40 miles back into downtown Viscous, I was shocked to see a completely new state-of-the-art police station. In a town with no public services, this definitely didn't fit in. I made my way towards the front of the building, and that's when I saw the crowd gathered. Hi, hello people of Viscous. Uh, most of you know me as a former officer around these parts, but if you don't, my name's Officer McCorviday. I, I was reappointed yesterday by, uh, I, I was reappointed yesterday as a sheriff of Turgid County. I have a combined 150 years of experience in law enforcement, stemming from the life insurance policies I've taken out on my fellow officers, and I'll be taking on the role as lead investigator in the Durgan McFlurksang homicide case. After doing a complete civil forfeiture of all of the citizens' belongings and re-establishing ourselves as an authority throughout the county, a new station has been built and Turgid County officers will be helping me with the Durkin McFlurkstein case by interviewing all witnesses and suspects throughout Viscous and our surrounding cities, as well as taking on any other official duties required by law enforcement. We ask for your full cooperation and, uh, please... No obstruction, unless you're looking for a ride downtown that you don't come back from. We want to be clear and honest with the public. We are not hiding anything, right? Yeah, we are not hiding anything, and we'd like to ask you all to stop spreading rumors like a wildfire on a septic farm. I mean, come on. Nobody knows yet what's really going on down here, but we are trying to maintain transparency. And, uh, so we brought the medical examiner up here, and we'll listen to him speak. Then I will finish my politically funded speech and take your questions. Doctor? Fourteen days after Durgan's disappearance, the entire police force was re-established with new officers. Officers not from any town where kids learn to read from the backs of engine parts. Yes, hi, my name is Dr. McDoctorman. As of yesterday, I am now the medical examiner for Viscous and all surrounding cities in Turgid County. I've been asked to come here today to, um, help the public understand what we're dealing with here. Warning, I've got kind of a harsh voice to listen to. So anyway, here are the pictures of McClurkstang's body, uh, the surrounding crime scene, and his autopsy. He was shot 91 times in total. 72 of those shots were from a Smith & Wesson Model 29, 
44 caliber. Uh, 51 of those bullets struck his groin, 14 below his chest, and 7 were launched into his anus. And approximately 22 12-gauge shotgun shells were launched off into the back of his skull, essentially decapitating him. He was also tortured in various ways for approximately 2 months before his death, being deprived of food, water, shelter, and that sweet tang we know he was getting. <laughs> we hypothesize that he survived for the amount of time he did by drinking his own urine and eating rats, as well as the resulting fecal matter, among other things. Furthermore, it appears that he was beaten with various instruments similar to the weight and strength of a lead pipe on the daily. The bones in both feet, both legs, both arms, and the entire right set of his ribcage had been torn from his body and tied up in intricate ways in order to reform them into what we believe would be a very aesthetically pleasing New Age artisanal furniture piece. He was subject to branding, impalement, waterboarding, gassing techniques, power washes, blood drawings, frostbite from exposure to the elements, multiple drownings, oxygen deprivation, choking, heart bleeding, heart stoppages, heart lozenges, enemas, sounding, and disembowelment. We can only assume that the end of Mr. McFlurgsang's life was immensely painful. However, that's just like me totally assuming. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. McDoctorman. In, in order to uh, remain fully transparent with the public, we're going to be showing you all the body of Mr. McFlurgstang. Hi, um, yes, when will that be taking place? Wheeler we're out right here. Yeah, yeah right there. A as you can see, his torso now looks like a small replicable model of last year's state fair, and his face is essentially non-existent. Though it was painful seeing my friend's torn apart body, it wasn't the first time I had seen something gruesome. I mean, I was wearing a literal skin suit only a few days prior, but this led me down a path I had never thought to go down. I wanted to learn more about the man behind the McFlurgstang. Who was Durgan? And why would someone murder him in the most brutal fashion possible, in a way that was perfect for my podcast? I figured I should start at the beginning of where all stories get juicy. Their hook. What was Durgan's hook? I had heard about the rebel in tight yellow pants steaming up the streets of Viscous until they were steamed ablaze, but I had never heard of the child who had made the steaming rebel put on pants in the first place. After stealthily searching the trash cans and inside the homes of each resident of Viscous while they slept, standing above them, watching them, breathing the same air they breathed, fantasizing about who I could become, who I was to become. I was able to find Durgan's mother's contact information, and before I knew it, I was on a plane heading far, far away from Viscous. Howdy, y'all. This is your pilot for uh, Flight 024 to Brisbane. We should be landing shortly. Just wanted to take a second to point out the beautiful sights this city has to offer. Now, if you take a look to your left, you can see the Great Snake Lake just outside of Brisbane. Don't worry, the overflow is mostly controlled. Mostly. And if you look to your right, you'll see a 600-foot-tall arachnid currently destroying downtown. If you haven't been to the bushland before, I'd just like to take a moment to assure you that this is all completely normal and nothing to worry about. And uh, thank you for flying with us today on Bogan Airlines. Please remain in your assigned seat until the plane has fully landed and the seatbelt signs have turned off. Wow. Australia. Though I was thousands of feet above, I was still able to hear the shrieks of terror from those below. I felt a certain comfort in that, kind of like a long-lost connection to McFlurgstang. 
It's quite an interesting place, ain't it? You're telling me, Dave. To get by in Australia, I was gonna need a translator. So prior to making the trip, I had contacted an old colleague from my days at the Sungazer Minutely, Dave, who covered Australian affairs. He not only agreed to work for me as a language interpreter, but also told me that if I had come alone, I most likely wouldn't be coming back. But if I did, it'd be in a body bag. And if I was in a body bag, that would mean that I was dead. And if I was dead, that would mean I wouldn't be making that sweet, sweet money. So I was convinced to bring him along. Hey, thanks for coming, Dave. No problem, host. If I've mastered anything over the course of my life, it's honest journalism, how to cook some sweet-ass clear, Australia, and crime. Though two of those things are indistinguishable from one another, so I'm glad to be here. Landing in, uh, three, two, one. Welcome to Australia, you dags. Thank you for flying with Bogan Airlines today. And if you look under your seat, you'll find your wallet. <laughs> no, you won't. They've been snagged. Plus one for this, Duvalek. But anyway, uh, get out there, have a fosters on us, and watch out for wild dinkies. Uh, that, that's my luggage? Can I grab my luggage? Wait your turn! <laughs> okay, the host of the number one podcast will just wait in a line to get off the plane like everybody else. I couldn't believe the disrespect these foreigners had. And by foreigners, I meant people like me, but I was much more important than them. I had a job to do here, but it wasn't soon after that I realized my job was about to get a lot harder. As I angrily walked off the plane with Dave, we were accosted by multiple children trying to pickpocket us, sell us life insurance policies, and trying to get us to sign up as distributors for their alternative health companies. Oi! Look at his pockets! They're full of the tips! I call dibs! Listen, the, the product practically sells itself. All you need to do is buy it before it runs out. Just gonna need a signature right here! Host, run. Dave and I rushed out through the terminals, past the baggage claim, until we had outrun the children and made it safely to the exits. As the doors opened, the environment pummeled into my body. The air was hot, like a monsoon night just after the rain stops, and the sun shined down on us just like the sun. I wondered how people could live like this, but soon enough, I would understand there was a lot more to worry about in Australia. Taxi! Taxi? Jeez, uh, crime. Oh, hello there. What, where are you headed to? Thank God. Uh, Dave, an English speaker. Uh, it, it's 324 White Oleander Smoothie Drive. <laughs> well, fair dinkum on that one. Heading to old Miss McFlurkstang's place, I see. <laughs> well, I assume you know what you're in for. Well, I I've never met the woman, but I assume it's nothing to worry about. If only I'd known better. Oh, well, let me tell you, Miss McFlug, <laughs> one of the most corrupt stains you ever come around, and that's a compliment. A compliment? Wow. I'm just the host of the number one podcast named Host going there to interview her about her son, Durgan. Oh, Durgan. Miss that man. Always had an eye for crime, that one, ever since he was a little tyke. Oh, where'd your pockets go? <laughs> that was a joke he used to play, and successfully. Yeah, I'm coming from the poor, illiterate, downtrodden town he lives in now. Uh, I mean, used to live in. That is, 
Until he died. Oh, nice. Well, I'm sure Mrs. McFlug will be able to answer any questions you have, as well as take care of any snake bites you're sure to get while you're out there. Wait, are there a lot of snakes out there? Oh, host, look outside. They use covered in snaky McBitey bites. I looked out the window to the jungle wasteland that was Brisbane. Snakes covered the ground like the stains on concrete that covered New York. The city passerby all wore giant leather platform boots that saved them from the snakes below, and large cowboy hats slathered in gasoline to repel the spiders that fell from above. The streets were lined with the bodies of those who had slipped and fallen victim to the bites, while the dingoes carried the freshest away back to their caverns in the subways. We drove 20 minutes east, passing the 600-foot-tall arachnid monster destroying downtown that our driver had cleverly named Supreme McBitey. Oh, look at it. Supreme McBitey's grown up just right. By the time we started to reach our destination, the entire scenery had changed. It was barren, like the set of Mad Max, and there were less snakes, but the space they had left behind had been filled with packs of wild dingoes. And as our driver slowed to a stop, I noticed thousands of deep holes surrounding the area, trailing back miles beyond the landscape. Dave, what are those holes? That's not Australia, host. That's... that's something else. Well, we're here. Hey, thanks for the ride. How much do I owe you? Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. The, the pilot from the flight stole my wallet. I don't know how I'm gonna pay you. Oh, it's fine, host. Robbing people is a sign of love here, so I'll just take your non-payment as a friendly gesture. That makes... complete sense. Thank you, taxi man. No problem, house. I'd say watch a wallet around Mrs. McFlurk's thing if you had one, but you should be fine taking all that extremely expensive recording equipment into a lair. Do... do you mind waiting for us? It doesn't look like this area gets much traffic. Oh, of course not, house. Not like I have a life or anything. Besides, you're right. Ain't no internet out in the bush, and not a lot of people do come out this way. And if they do, they don't usually come back. Unless it's in a body bag. And if they're in a body bag... Yeah, yeah, I know. So I'll just hang back and take time to give you a five-star written review, like I know I should. <laughs> wow, thanks. As we exited the car, I took note of the property's appearance from the outside. The house itself had outlived its own decay. The exterior walls of the home were doused in a green and purple flannel pattern. The siding paint chipped from the top and on the way down metamorphosized into pieces of plywood and scrap metal held together by twine. An old rocking chair on the raised porch whispered tales of an impoverished life, drowned by the leaks from the homemade distillery parallel to the Winnebago whose top had collapsed in on itself long ago. From the side, a rusty pipe ran to one of the many holes as a makeshift waste deposit. Several of the holes had already been filled, or were beginning to overflow. The screen door was tilted and slightly ajar, as if only moments away from falling into the depths. And a 44-foot-tall satellite that trumped the sides of the house had been repurposed as a rooftop. The McFlurkstang childhood home, though a sight to behold, was not one of lavish. I opened the gate and we made our way towards the door, mining our steps to avoid falling in one of the many waste deposit holes. I pulled the screen door back and raised my fist to knock before the weight of the wind pushed open the entrance and seduced my eyes in. The house is what you would expect. Light bulbs repurposed for the smoking of illicit material lined the hardwood flooring. 
A single love seat placed directly in the middle of the room faced an upside-down TV, partially broken, but still playing an old cowboy film. The curtains stained by smoke, blood, and some kind of brown stuff. And in the corner sat an 18-foot-tall taxidermied crocodile repurposed as a bookshelf, though there were no books to read, only memories. I called out to ensure that the residents would know we weren't trespassing without good reason. Uh, Mrs. McFlurkstang? Miss McFlurkstang? I'm host, host of the number one podcast. I knew Durgan. I'm investigating the... She shifted out from behind a wall, holding a revolver and sweetly whispered, I-I'm sorry. I don't understand. Host, I've got this one. Embezzlement? Theft? Aiding and abetting? Alright, host. I've got this. She can understand you, but I'll have to translate for her. I knew it was a good idea bringing you, Dave. Thanks. Mrs. McFlurkstang, I'm host, host of the number one podcast, leave a five-star written review. I'm investigating the death of your son, Durgan. My baby boy Durgan dead? Yes, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. This is the first you've heard? Yes. Is, is she laughing? Well, I was crying, but yeah. Now I'm laughing, because I'm going to get so paid out from all those life insurance policies I took out on my sweet, sweet dead baby boy. It wasn't just the house that had outlived its own decay. McFlurstang's mother, Nyleen McSmiling, has had a rough go at life herself, and one might say, should have died a long, long time ago. In her youth, she was a bright and colorful spirited woman who made her living working down in the Bitcoin mines and committing petty crimes. However, by the age of 79, she had become pregnant and was forced to retire from her youth and marry McFlurkstang's father, Colonel McGhostface, a pioneer in the underground eugenics scene, as well as the inventor of the ghost machines we've all come to know and love today. Hi, Barbara Bush. Form a circle and let out the king. And hi, Johnny Depp. Uh, oh, not yet? When Durgan was born, the family settled down in this house and battled the harsh reality that was keeping a human child alive in Australia, in the bush. So, what was Durgan like as a kid? You know, he was a troubled kid. I tried to teach him how to play nicely with the other non-existent children and to keep himself busy by staring into the sun and urine looping, but I don't think he ever really understood. So anytime he acted up or I looked at him and didn't like his face, I told him, holes everywhere, Durgan, now. Holes? Yes, big ones, you know, like graves. You had him digging his own grave? Yeah, about once or twice a day. You see, he didn't just like to play in the mud. He had to play in the mud. Why? Well, Durgan was afraid, and I felt it right to teach him how to face his fears head on, or grave on, specifically. Afraid of what? Well, host, we're all afraid. But Durgan, he was really afraid. So I said, keep digging those graves, or it's the violence that I will behave. To say that Durgan had a difficult childhood, and that the McFlurkstangs weren't a healthy family unit, would be more than just an understatement. It would be a lie. As a child, Durgan had an amazing immune system, 
that was even noted by the Australian medical system for its particular use in reversing the poisonous effects of snake bites, which are a daily occurrence for every single resident of this country. When Durgan's father discovered that his own child was highly beneficial when it came to the subject of money, he contacted the Australian government and offered to sign over his power of attorney to sign over his child's life in the name of science, or whatever. The AU government woefully and happily obliged, compensating Colonel McGhostface with 20 British pounds and four goats, as they still did not have a national currency at the time, in the 1970s. So the state took custody of Durgan for the next 14 years, conducting tests and research on his body, blood, and mind. Durgan never said much about what happened there. It was exactly like V for Vendetta. But from what I know, and can't talk about due to signing several non-disclosure agreements myself, it was not ideal. You know, some things change you. For me, I changed some things. Durgan came back home after being held captive by an illegitimate government, a different man. One who wouldn't put up with his mother's harsh criticism. One who refused to dig his own grave ever again. One who loved crime way more than the average Australian. And also one who was good at crime. Sometime after that, Durgan left home. No one really knows where he went or when he first arrived in America, but it's easy to see why he left. Durgan saw an opportunity in America, an opportunity he couldn't find in this dingo, arachnid, and snake-fueled wasteland. He thought he was better than us, and that's why he left. I only showed that boy unconditional love and life insurance policy documents he had to sign in the unlikely event that he would somehow end up in one of those graves someday. Wasn't planning on it or nothing. We only helped our son, and we were more than generous. And now that his father and him are just ghosts in the machine of time, who's gonna be my spendy McSpendy spends? Ouch! What, what was that? Oh my god, host. Snakes. Oh my god. Where's an antidote? She says the antidote is in one of those graves back there, out in the bush, but that we're gonna have to sign these life insurance policies real quick, and then she'll take us to where she keeps the medicine. Host, this sounds like a trap. Dave, watch out! Because I'm so non-judgmental, it had taken me over 30 minutes of talking face-to-face -face with Mrs. McFlurgsang to realize that her mouth was actually a four-foot-long beak with colossal fangs, and that her arms were covered in feathers, and that her hands and feet were really just massive claws that tore into the wooden flooring as she walked. But before I was able to fully contextualize all of this, Mrs. McFlurgstein came from behind Dave and snapped his arms off, tearing them from his body. Blood sprayed across the room and into my eyes. She then grabbed his torso with her claws and violently shook him around the house, eventually tearing him limb from limb. I was absolutely drenched in blood by this point, so I thanked Mrs. McFlurgsang for her hospitality as I ran for the taxi outside. Drive! N now! Drive! Oh, well, let me just get my seatbelt on. <laughs> oh, she's flying today, ain't she? We peeled on out of there and back onto the old Australian country roads. However, the elder McFlurgstang gave pursuit, 
flying right behind us, and that's when I pulled the revolver Dan had given me and fired at the beast giving chase, piercing one of her wings and grounding her. She flopped down to the dirt road, and it was all over, for now. As we drove on, I listened as the dingoes in the distance howled. We love you, hoes. Wow, <laughs> thanks. Lying in the back seat, I was in immense pain from the snake bite I had received and could feel the poison crawling under my skin. But as I began to go into anaphylactic shock, I couldn't help but appreciate the beauty of this land and the way these people lived. Generous, kind-hearted, always looking out for just themselves and no one else. Sure, I was drenched in a close colleague's blood, but I thought maybe once this was all over, you know, this whole investigation thing, I could see myself settling down here. That was, until the worst thing happened. Hey, you feeling host? Ah, <sighs> feeling much better. Thanks for saving my life, Doctor. Oh, you, you can thank Mr. McFlurgsang's DNA for that one. I guess he's still here with me, and in some way, inside of me. So how much do I owe you? Oh, host, you don't owe us nothing. We've got free healthcare here. What? If McFlurgsang knew his genes were being used to help save people for free, he would have had an absolute meltdown. What kind of fascist, socialist, anarchist, authoritarian, communist, hierarchical, stateless, so stateless state system is this? What? What? That's when I got the hell out of there. I don't know how I ever thought I could have settled down in Australia. Sure, the landscape was a wasteland. Every living thing was either trying to exploit you or murder you and they still had a queen, but forced Medicare? For free? That doesn't even make sense. Only now did I truly understand why McFlurgstang abandoned this life. It was all a lie. After destroying the hospital and getting on a plane that would take me back to my America, I finally realized just what Dan had meant. To figure out the truth about what happened to Durgan, I was going to have to change the way I worked, the way I had been working for the last 48 years. I was going to have to start believing anything anybody told me about anything, because no matter what, that was going to be more truthful than anything an Australian could ever say to me, excluding Durgan, of course. Hey, uh, mind if my wife and I sit here? Of course not. I can hear it in your accent that you're good people. Yes. Oh, oh, well, thank you so much. I take that back. Find another seat, scum. Jeez. Wait, honey, give me back my wallet. Oh, hey, uh, mind if I sit here? As long as you're not Australian, I don't care what you do. <laughs> Understandable. Thanks. Wait, Joe Blyden? What are you doing here? <laughs> oh, host. Host of the number one podcast, right? Nothing much, just making international deals. Deals that are gonna change everything forever. <laughs> I wasn't sure what that meant, but I was glad to be heading home. Or so I thought. Hooters Jr.'s The Durgan McClurgsang Story is a sad picture production. If you would like to support us or gain access to exclusive content, Visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash Hooters Juniors. That's patreon.com slash Hooters J-R-S. 
To get in contact, send an email to fuckyousumi at hootersjuniors.com. Hooters Juniors is created, written, and edited by hosts, co-written by Cameron's Tax Guy, produced by Cameron's Tax Guy and Trent C. Rollins, executive producer Trapper D. McBlackfoot, voiced by host and a bunch of unnamed expendable wages. Fuck em. To learn more, visit HootersJuniors.com. Real truth is a crime.